Yep. So, yeah. Welcome back, everyone, to a brand new episode of the podcast, and I am here with the with well, Pro- Professor Anne-Marie Kalous. I actually might pronounce that correctly. Yeah, from the University of Malta's Department of Disability Study, based in Mesida, which is a picturesque town in Malta, but every town in Malta is it's picturesque. Yeah, so can you please introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you very much um, uh, for this for this invitation. Um, as you said, I'm a, I'm associate professor at the Department of Disability Studies, um, and I have been there for eight years now. But I've been working um, uh, with disabled people in different areas for almost thirty years. Yeah, and could you please um, tell us like how, what got you interested in working? the area of, like, of working with students with disabilities? Yeah, so um, uh, I, when I went to university, uh, which was in the, in the early 90s, um, uh, late 80s, early 90s, I, I graduated as a teacher and I used to teach English in, uh, in mainstream secondary schools in Malta. And I think it was at that time that I um, realized how many students there are who um, really need um, individual attention for them to be able to make the most of their their education years, you know, the compulsory years of education. At the time, we did not have inclusive education in Malta. But there were some students with disability in in schools. Um, There was what we call integration, where uh, students with disability could go to mainstream school as long as they could keep up with the curriculum and as long as they didn't need specific arrangements. Um, And I believe that this is what uh, got me interested in, in the education of students with uh, with disability, which then I you know led me to 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 do other things. Eventually, I also did a master's in, uh, in special education, and after spending some time working in uh, uh, in special schools, I moved over to the Commission for the Rights of Persons with Disability. Um, actually, at the time, it was called the National Commission Persons with Disability, um, where I was working not so much in education, but in uh, policy development research. Then I did my PhD, which was in sociology, although it was with a focus on disability. Um, so I have always retained a keen interest in, in inclusive education. But I've also been doing other other things since I since I started working in this area. Yeah, and um, so yeah, could you please like, what do you enjoy about being a professor in the Department of Disability Studies, and what do you what what has it taught you about the potential of students with disabilities? Yeah, yeah. So I think one of the things I enjoy about um, sort of returning to the to the educational field um, this time as a university lecturer is that I really enjoy teaching. I really be, enjoy being in class with students. Um, uh, 
and uh, and uh, you know discussing with them and uh, sh sharing what I know, listening to to what they have to say, and and creating that discussion with them. Um, uh, if I had to say, you know, what I have learned from people with disability in general, perhaps over the last um, two decades or so, um, it it's that they, you know, the experiences I think of of persons with disability highlight just how interdependent we are on each other. Um, uh, how how much we need each other um, and also that if you are in a situation where you have a disability where you, you perhaps need more support and more help than most people that doesn't mean that you can't be independent and it doesn't mean that you can't live life to the full um, that you you can adapt to your situation but also, and I think this is perhaps the most crucial um, lesson from that we've learned from disabled people, that the environment makes such a huge difference. So, you know, if we take education as an example, as I was saying earlier, like in most countries, um, until the early 90s, until the uh, Salamanca Statement on Inclusive Education was signed in 1994, I don't think there were many countries who had yet implemented an inclusive education policy. So students with disability could only attend mainstream schools if they could fit into the system as it was. It is with inclusive education that the um, that approach was turned on its head, or at least on paper. And it is the school now that should be adapting to the students' needs. So rather than asking, can a student fit into the education system? We need to ask, what do we need to do um, for the education system to meet the needs of the student? And obviously that goes for everything else as well for workplaces, for places of leisure, um, for anywhere that anybody can go, uh, because the environment makes such a huge difference uh, to whether a disabled person can live their life or not. And I think that that is the most important thing I have learned over the past decades. Yeah, and is the mainstream education well, first of all, I want to ask you, well, what challenges do students with disabilities face in the mainstream multi-education system today? Like, do they still face barriers compared to non-disabled students or able-bodied students? Yeah, um, th they do still face um, a lot of barriers. I have to say there has been a lot of improvements. Um, and I think one of the ways we can see um, how much improvement there has been is um, by the fact that a lot of disabled students um, who were written off by the education system um, in the past nowadays find much more individualized support than they used to. 
And when the disabled children, um, after they finish compulsory school, which finishes at the age of 16 in Malta, um, an increasing number of them are continuing to study. And that might be at uh, sixth form and then university, or they go to a vocational college, um, MCAST, um, or they um, um, perhaps they find uh, other courses that, that, that interest them. Um, there are also organizations that help them to increase their employability skills to, to be able to find work eventually. So there are many, many more opportunities um, for disabled students nowadays than there used to be 30, 40 years ago. Um, uh, having said that, it doesn't mean that our inclusive, our education system is fully inclusive. Uh, it is, the situation is pretty much the same in many countries where we have inclusion, but not to the fullest degree. Unfortunately, it seems that um, many educators haven't really, really understood what inclusion means. So in Malta, for example, um, one of the main issues with our education system in general for all students is that it is very exam oriented. So there's sort of this idea that uh, at the end of the day, whatever you have learned, uh, you learn it so that you go into the examination hall and you show what you, you've learned and you get good grades and that will set you up for the future, which is true, but there's too much emphasis on that. And as a result, um, the education of students with disability ends up being also oriented towards exams, certificates, getting good grades and so on and so forth, which again, you know, it's important if there are students who um, have a disability and are academically bright, it's important that they get the best grades they could get. But when we have students who academically may not be that capable, but have other abilities, um, rather than trying to get them to keep up with the syllabus, rather than trying to keep them academically on a par with their classmates or, or, or with people in their, in their year, um, it is much better to focus on what they can do and help them improve that, um, find what they um, are still lacking and uh, work with them to, you know, for the best. So let me take an example, mathematics, okay? So having a secondary level certificate in mathematics is important. It's, it's a key to being able to, to study later on. And obviously mathematics also teaches you a lot of things that um, are important in life. But if you have somebody, for example, with intellectual disability, for whom um, uh, 
certain aspects of mathematics are going to be too abstract for them to be able to, um, to grapple with, wouldn't it be better to teach them what, what is called life maths? Uh, so, you know, being able to count, being able to check the change, uh, knowing the value of money, being able to tell the time, and so on and so forth. Uh, so, rather than seeing the student as a failure, um, we need to say, okay, this is how much the student will learn on this subject. Now, what, what does that student need to set them up um, uh, for their adult life? Yeah, and um, so for example, take me for example. Um, during school, I sucked. I, well, I don't know if I can say suck on the show. Um, but anyway, I was I wasn't that good at math. I wasn't that good at physics. I wasn't that good at really any of the hard sciences. Yeah. But I was really good at um, by I was I was really good at um history, politics, and geography and languages that's probably what we what they focused on with me like mm -hmm. i went to a standard level politics class and i focused on um history that was specific to like where i was living um and and i also did history tours of the town i'm living in now in basel switzerland and sort of an extra curriculum as sort of like a special sort of thing so sort of a like a job training sort of pathway sort of level thing and that was just what i and that was yeah part of my program and so for my specialized program because i i tried to take so the ib maths exam that this one time and i flunked it i i, I just failed it outright because I just couldn't understand some of the complex complex um sort of mass yeah things and so so yeah but and so like and so our parents sort of encouraged to send their children to specialized segregated schools or mm -hmm. or um or a school is trying to provide a sort of altered curriculum. So like what I was just describing, where I, for example, I wasn't very good at maths, but I was very good at geography, history, mm -hmm. languages, politics. But I, are they sort of trying to provide that? Yeah. Yes, and I think, you know, um... It, it's important that, especially perhaps as the as the student um, gets older, and obviously certain subjects get more and more complicated and difficult. Um, if the student is, has has a difficulty with certain subjects, it obviously doesn't mean that they don't learn that subject at all, but. Um, uh, one has to find a way of, of also, I suppose, of making education meaningful for, for, for these students. And uh, uh, to get back to, you know, to, to where I started, um, bec because at the time when I started teaching, the education system was more rigid than, than it is now. 
there are so many students who were not just written, effectively written off by the system, but they themselves had long lost any motivation to learn. Um, so making sure that students are taught through methods which encourage them and feed their curiosity um, is, is, is very, very important. And that doesn't need to happen in a segregated manner. It can happen in, in a mainstream school, as long, obviously, as there are the resources. Which again brings me, you know, to, to the point I was making earlier, that the, the, envir the environment makes so much difference. And part of the environment is the attitude, the attitude of educators, the attitude of the people, in this case involved in education, um, that they try to find a way of making it work. Obviously, they also need resources. Without that, you can't, you can't really have inclusive education. Yeah, and uh, so, so it's like a mainstream educators, like are they trained nowadays to try and support students with disabilities? And are there adequate counselling services? So, for example, if, say, for example, a student who is so like, they have a disability that causes them to come across as socially awkward. Yeah. And they sort of, you know, start, because, you know, they're in senior school and they're sort of, you know, trying to explore themselves and they start developing a romantic attraction to another student who sort of becomes creeped out by the sort of their behavior and how they're trying to express themselves are schools prepared to sort of handle that sort of behavior because like okay for example you need to go to the counselor you need to go and talk to a counselor about this are schools nowadays equipped to handle those sort of scenarios I think on the whole they are, yes. So um, all schools have um, qualified uh, counsellors. Um, unfortunately, uh, the incidence of uh, students with mental health issues is always on the increase. Um, so part of the issue then becomes um, uh, the services having to uh, to deal with uh, an, incre an increase in demand. And also, I suppose, um, uh, adapting to the type of difficulties that young people, um, uh, children and, and young people meet nowadays um, uh, with, you know, with social media, with, all that happened over the past years with the pandemic and so on and so forth. Um, it's, it's also a question of uh, counselors having to, to adapt to different kinds of needs. Yeah, and um, more that, that can be done, of course. <laughs> okay, and if you don't mind me asking, I don't think that this is in, in the script, but when you talked about what sort of like, you know, what young people are going through these days. Um, well, I recently read that, oddly enough, abortion is still legal in most because there's still like this large conservative part, portion of society. And so is there any attempt to like, sort of raise awareness about 
so like you know if you don't mind me asking but teen pregnancies and stuff like that in in schools yeah education yes there is i you know i i can't comment on that because it's not my area at all but but uh, there is but i think it would be better to speak to somebody who is uh, um uh, more into that area about about that topic yeah yeah because it just i'm, I'm, I'm sorry i didn't mean to put you i didn't mean to um like make comment about that but it was just oh just surprised that's all because i wasn't yeah, like, yeah. what's this yeah and yeah yeah and so like like a as uh so are there efforts to try and raise awareness about disability rights in and sort of issues that students with disabilities face in sort of multi-schools because i, I remember when i was in um high school it, we had this person and she came to our school and she like sort of told us oh okay well now you're gonna have to try and like draw this with your feet you're not allowed to use your hands because they, she was trying to raise awareness about so like how some people they had to use their feet to like draw mm -hmm. or write messages and stuff because they can't use their hands and and is there um an attempt to do a similar thing in multi-schools or you bring in someone and they talk about sort of their experiences and they to an predominantly able-bodied like an able-bodied audience of students without disabilities and you know just try and talk them in just try and talk to them about what and try and make the audience feel about what it's like to have a disability yes um I think you know the the, um, the type of training that uh, happens mostly is obviously partly through university. So um, while uh, um, students are training to be teachers, part of their uh, curriculum will be uh, knowing about how to teach students with disability. Although um, there will also be a, a qualified um, uh, learning support educator in, in their class if there are students with disability. Um, so then it, it's the fact that nowadays teachers, unlike when, when I started teaching um, all those years ago, are most likely to have at least one disabled student in their classroom with a learning support educator means that um, automatically there is more awareness of disability, you know, because disabled people are there. They're not hidden away somewhere. They're there and you have to do something about it. Um, so then it becomes more a question of attitude and uh, um, uh, the, the attitude of uh, teachers um, and other educators and all those involved somehow in, in schools is really, really important. Um, uh, so what 
what is available is what is called disability quality training, which is training which is given mostly by disabled people themselves. And they speak about their experiences and how um, those experiences have impacted their lives. Um, the factors that have helped them, the factors that have created barriers for them, and how to remove or at least um, reduce the barriers. Um, so rather than sort of telling someone to sit in a wheelchair or be blindfolded for a day, um, it is, it's much better to just have a disabled person speak to you about their experiences. Um, because for many people, that will be the first time that they've heard someone uh, speak about their disability, not simply as an impairment and a tragedy, but as part of who they are, part of their life, uh, part of their identity as well. Yeah, and um, so how do you think, like, do you like, do they also do it like the UN Day of Disability? Yes, yes. Um, the uh, um, uh, so when the commission, the National Commission Persons with Disabilities, started in nineteen eighty seven, um, one of the uh, things that it did was that um, it created a whole week around the third of December, um, and. This has continued over the years. It's, it's still there. Now the, the commission was renamed Commission for the Rights of Persons with Disability, and it still does this disability week. And so it's a whole week when um, people um, are more likely than usual to hear about disability um, from the social model point of view, okay, so not just sort of um, about the impairment, but about what can we as a society do to make disability more, um, uh, uh, to make society more, more accessible for disabled people, so that disabled people are included more, um, and there's conferences and people speaking on television and um, activities with children, um, articles perhaps on newspapers and so on and so forth. Yeah, and do you think like some of the initiatives that my, my friends and I've started up over the years could be helpful in this aspect? I think it's difficult to know for sure just how um, uh, effective they are, but they do, they do create more awareness and, you know, you might only be able to reach a few people, but for those few people, you've made a difference. And when you meet somebody, um, who tells you, I heard that program or, um, read that article or, um, you know, anything they have come across and they say you know now i understand N now i realize what what needs to be done i think uh, those moments um are 
are very important. Nowadays, for example, there's, there's more awareness that um, places have to be physically accessible, that deaf people need sign language, that um, you need to adapt material for people with intellectual disability, um, that uh, blind people might have a guide dog which needs to go into, into a shop with them. Um, so have, having these uh, non-disabled people um, realizing that needing to make these adjustments is a question of respecting disabled people's rights is not something that is going to happen um, suddenly. It, it can only happen by repetition, by um, uh, activities such as those that take place during Disability Week, um, by obviously also activities during the, the year. But I think having a week where the spotlight is more on, on disabled people than usual is useful. Well, then once again, thank you to, to like Anne Marie, Professor Anne Marie Callus. It's okay, Anne Marie. <laughs> yeah, thank you to, big thank you to Anne Marie. And if you want to learn any more about the things we talked about, I'm pretty sure there'll be links in the description below. Actually, I shouldn't say I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm certain that if you go down and look in the description box, you'll find links to a number of the programs and initiatives we talked about today. Thank you. Please like, share, leave a review and bye. Thank you, Joshua, for um, for the invitation. I enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, good to wait. Stop recording now.